Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Meskel, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. Like and subscribe. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I am joined by Colbert Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. How you doing today? I'm great, because we're going to talk about a sport that I grew up with and a sport that you're going to learn about, Kobe. And we have a special guest to help us through that. Uh, he is a cricket expert, especially with regard to Caribbean cricket and the West Indies. He's joining us from London. It is Mr. Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. Michelle, how are you doing? How you doing, guys? Uh, a pleasure to be on. Whilst you were doing the intro, I was thinking, what am I going to say? AKA what? But I've got nothing. MSPH. Let's go with that. Okay. AKA MSPH. Yeah. There we go. The St. Patrick. St. Patrick's Day. Everyday St. Patrick's Day in your world. Well, this is it. Exactly. That's why I started using my middle name so that it would immediately lead people saying, what? That's your middle name. But but it actually is. It's not even like a cold name or anything like that. Only rum, not whiskey. That's what we're talking about. Indeed. Yes. Kobe has Jamaican roots himself. So it's a beautiful thing. I've learned a lot about the Caribbean since starting off the podcast with Kobe a couple of years ago. Awesome. One of the things that is synonymous with Caribbean culture is cricket. And having grown up in Australia myself, that was a summertime staple for me too. The West Indies recently toured Australia, the men's team. Tell us a little bit about that and the way the team is going, uh, the direction of the team. <laughs> um, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what i'm excited to be on here because you two might help me out to be fair because um for people like listening to this episode and like cricket like what's that all about as a team the west indies men's side is probably on the biggest i don't want to call it a losing streak let's just call it decline they're on probably one of the most notable declines that any former great quote-unquote franchise could ever possibly have and um so much so that on a recent episode we did on the caribbean cricket podcast i put a question out to all the listeners and said can they tell me any other sports franchise that have that have sucked as long as the west indies have sucked at cricket yet everybody still treats them as if they're like a great of the game who should be spoken about in ki- with kind of reverence due to what we achieved back in the 70s and in the 80s. And interestingly enough, um, everyone came back to me with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes! Said, <laughs> <laughs> yes! Hold on, so hold that, on, that's hold the, on. That's the, start to, that's the start to the podcast there. I'm throwing that out to you so that anybody <laughs> listening to this who doesn't get where I'm coming from, that's the West Indies right now. <laughs> that, that's actually an unfair comparison because the West Indies have had some actual victories since the Maple Leafs have. But the Maple Leafs are 
undoubtedly the more consistent team when it comes to success. So it, it's not exactly a fair comparison. <laughs> but it, it's in a similar train, I, I must admit. I will say there is a difference in the sense that I do feel like the the fans of the West Indies have some sense of consternation. There's a, I feel like the fan base wants things to improve, whereas the Maple Leafs is like, oh, shucks, uh, well, there's always next year. <laughs> so using that as kind of a starter to, to proceedings that kind of answers oh, in a weird way that kind of answers your question I mean we went to Australia we were expected to lose we expected to lose badly and I guess all things being considered we lost badly in some senses in the first kind of test we we competed better than most people expected but when you actually look at it as a scorecard we actually lost badly and that's in keeping with the trend of following the west indies cricket team certainly probably in the last 25 years progressively getting worse in so much as when they play teams that on paper look significantly better than them they don't rise to the challenge <laughs> they 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 actually perform to to the expectation which is to lose quite badly so um and it's it's only weird in so much as because we were because west indies have the history of having gone 15 years unbeaten back in the heydays of the late 70s pretty much all of the 80s and the early 90s that's the only reason we kind of still look at the team as supposedly being better than they actually are at this present moment in time. Mm-hmm. Now, I will contend that despite the, I guess, the, the lack of success at test level, there was some period of success with the limited overs team, That the yeah. particularly T20, there was some success with the, the men's team. Uh, mm-hmm. They'd won a couple of tournaments. But it seems like that is also on the nose. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. Um, so... It's quite interesting, actually, because um, next yeah next year next year there's a T20 World Cup coming up, which is being hosted in the United States and the Caribbean at the same time. Like it's a co-hosted tournament, and we're all kind of looking to that tournament because such has been the decline over the last probably three years from our loft. At one point in time, we were probably in fact we were not even probably we were the best. T20 sides in world cricket between about 2012 to 2016 everyone would have said right the West Indies are favourites to win so as we declined in kind of the purest form of the game that being five day test cricket our players kind of gravitated more and more to the short format of the game however what's happened in the short format of the game is we were blessed between about 2010 to about 2016, we were blessed with having probably the best players in the world all in one format of that game. And looking back now, we kind of see that as a golden generation of players. The problem is, is, is that they were all roughly the same age. So they've all retired roughly at the same time, which therefore means now that we're in a transitional stage of having to bring through, like a, a, a great team can lose maybe one or two of their greats at the same time. But you can't lose five and six at the same time and expect to replicate what you did in the past. So we're very much in a transitional stage um, in what was once our best format in the modern era. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well, we'll come back to that in a second, but I'll pass you over to Kobe. 
Okay, so, I mean, yes, I have Jamaican heritage, but I grew up in Canada and I didn't follow cricket growing up, but I was always aware of sports headlines. And mm. there was a time that the West Indies were the headline. They were everything. What do you think happened? What do you think led to the decline? Do you know what, Colby? It's a really good question because we've interviewed now probably not everyone we haven't interviewed everyone there is to interview we certainly need to interview more of the more of the legends of the game in west indies cricket for sure but what's quite telling for me is recently we had on um jimmy adams so he's currently the director of cricket in cricket west indies former west indies captain former jamaica captain all of that and we had him on recently and i said to jimmy when did the decline start? Because he played for the West Indies. He was captain of the West Indies, sorry, around the year 2000, 2001. And I think he retired in 2004 from international duty or was retired, whichever way you put it. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jimmy, when did the, when did you, when did the decline start? Was it around that time when we started to lose a lot more frequently? And Jimmy's response was no. I noticed the decline from the late 1980s when he was coming up as a kid. And that's the first time I'd heard anybody who I consider like a key stakeholder of the game or somebody who whose opinion I properly value has suggested that the decline actually started when we were at our best. When you think about it and you think about great sports teams and great franchises, that kind of makes sense because a franchise or a team that doesn't what I call succession plan. You know, like you're stuck in the moment where you assume that you're always going to get the same talent coming off the conveyor belt. And and thinking on what Jimmy said about that, I, I, my, the new theory I'm working to is that the West Indies think tank got lazy. They got complacent. So when we started to get a set of players that were unable to reach the lofty heights of the people we consider the greats of the game, we had nothing in place to bridge the gap between good players to world-class great players. Are you, following, are you following my track there? I am. I am, yes. Now, the, the dates you mention, it's interesting. So you're saying it happened much earlier, and that was because they got complacent. Yeah. And then by the time it kicked in, you say in, around the end of his tenure, you're looking toward the beginnings of the IPL. Do you think the IPL has changed the focus of world cricket to T20 because of the money involved? In short, yes. And particularly with the Caribbean, to, and this is when we have to look to, to still see CLR James's phrase beyond the boundary. And I think more so than any of the other full member nations that are recognized as like the top nations in international cricket, the West Indies suffers because one, it's not a place. Like it's a, it's a conglomeration of different nations playing under the banner, the West Indies. There is no such thing as the West Indies. And I think that also hampers us as well, by the way, because we're, we're having to administer an international game amongst 10 or 11 different nations for a mm -hmm. start. So that's an issue. But also you have to look at the kind of economic realities of growing up in the Caribbean and the economic realities of those. It's, it's not like England, okay, where they have almost like what I call a private school farming system into the international team for England. So you, you look at the England international side and when you go and look at where these boys went to school, a lot of them went to had private education um, yeah. where they've paid for essentially great facilities, right? 
In the Caribbean, I would argue that a lot of the players that make it through to the West Indies team come from very humble beginnings. And the economic reality is you could play if you get picked for the West Indies and maybe make circa $200,000, $250,000 a year. That's if you're playing in all, all the formats of the game. Or you can focus on the, the shorter formats of the game, T20, white ball cricket, get an IPL deal and make $1 million. Yeah. Just for us, for what is effectively a six, seven week tournament, the e- economic realities mean you're going to slowly but surely go where the money is. And that's in every single sport. Yeah, no, 100 percent, 100 percent. I didn't know it's that significant a difference, but that's four to one. That's that's insane. Yeah. And it's I guess not only there's not only those competition, I guess, competing interests internally, but. The way sports has changed from the 90s, the NBA has become more global and more mm-hmm. attractive. And the NFL has also cleaned house a little bit and made it more attractive. And would you say that kids in the West Indies have been gravitating towards going to college in the States so they can enter the NFL and NBA as opposed to playing cricket? Yeah. I've, so I've had this argument put to me before. I'm not... I think there's two different argue. I think there's two different strands to this argument. Am I convinced that American sports have taken young people away from the Caribbean to not focus on cricket? No. Um, however, is the pull of going to an American university a big pull in the Caribbean? One hundred percent. I I mean I I did my I I did schooling in Jamaica between 16 to 18 now as it was I came back to England to carry on my education but of course there was the possibility for me to to kind of do what was it was it SATs was it I can't remember if that's what they were called um SATs whatever it was to go to an American uh university and uh, continue my education so don't get me wrong there there is of course a educational slash sports incentive to try and get a scholarship to get to the states does that mean that that's taking people away from plying their trade in cricket i'm not so sure and in in fairness i think over the next few years we'll really be able to tell because the americans are now starting to embrace cricket in in Mm -hmm. they've got them they've got major league cricket coming up which is their first proper foray into the kind of global game of t20 cricket I'm expecting a lot of West Indian cricketers to head over to Major League Cricket. They're already playing in minor league cricket in the States, a lot of them, and making money that way. So America is in our natural hemisphere. It's it's in America has a huge sphere of influence over the Caribbean. But I don't know if West Indian cricketers will look at America as just another place now where they can can actually play cricket but go to America to make money but that will then sup if so I'm not really explaining it well but what I guess what I'm trying to say is America hopefully for them now will become a supplementary income and they can actually refocus on trying to play cricket for West Indies at Mm. the same time do you see what I mean so it doesn't have to become it doesn't have to be a place that takes you away from cricket if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of like an almost uh, an additional location in yes. the same way that in the same way that some of the the elite players you know play their tests and then they go off to play big bash in australia go yes, play exactly. IPL, the u.s would be a, a an affiliate in that respect i think yes, i think I'm, rugby shows it already too right mm. yeah you have you have players who play for their 
their country and then they they go off and play for their their, their teams in the states now, right? That's right. Yeah. With the with the major league rugby competition that started three or four years ago. Now, the cricket with the Los Angeles Olympics coming up in twenty twenty eight, the cricket governing bodies they are trying to have cricket brought back as an Olympic sport. What are your thoughts on that, Michelle? Do you think that's feasible? I know the IOC is trying to, if anything, re- reduce the number of athletes that go to the Olympics, but can you see cricket being there? I think it should be there. I think if they do it, they're going to do it for the very shortest format of the game, so T10. I don't see why they wouldn't do it. It would add to the kind of global erasmus the Olympics are. Um, cricket, of course, has a significant fan base, particularly in Asia, as well as in England, I would say, as, and then probably Australia is number three. So I just think it's a no-brainer. I, th- I think they're, the issues they'll have is what format of the game do they play? I think that's easily answered by just playing the 10-over version of the game. Mm-hmm. The issue I've got, though, is that how are they going to decide who plays, I guess, on behalf of the West Indies, if yes. you see what I mean. Because then this is what I'm saying. This is where we go back to that whole thing of the West Indies isn't a place. So all of a sudden now you'd have to have the different nations competing against each other to probably be what the one representative from the Caribbean that gets to go and almost represent the the West. Do you get what I'm coming from? Rep- representing yeah. the West Indies in the Olympics. So that there'll be no West Indies team in the Olympics. It'll be Barbados or Guyana or Jamaica or Trinidad or whoever it might be. Yeah, and I recall the Commonwealth Games in, I think it was 1998 in Malaysia, where mm. cricket, cricket was on uh, showcase sport. And like you said, the, there was no West Indies. It was the individual nations representing themselves, which is fine at Commonwealth level, but Mm-hmm. For the Olympics, uh, it's not, in my opinion, it's not really fair on those <laughs> nations because the way the way it lambs is, to the slaughter, basically. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to be competitive, and it, that's not an accurate representation of West Indies cricket as as we know it. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how they would. Um, I mean, we, we, we just had the Commonwealth Games in the UK last year, actually, and the the women had cricket back on the agenda. And mm. so Barbados went and it was weird because I was supporting Barbados because I just saw them as essentially, well, you're the extension of the West Indies team. You are the West Indian team or you're representing effectively West Indies cricket in this tournament. But it was it was only Barbados who got to go on behalf of the Caribbean. So, again, there'll, there'll be these arguments should there be um, the Olympics. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, they've got five or six years to nut it out. So, hopefully they can find a solution and, and get cricket back in there because I think – like you said, it's an international sport. It's played by men and women. There's, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be in there um, when you see some of the other sports that are there. But that's just my humble opinion. Now, Michelle, you touched on women's cricket. Tell us about the landscape for the West Indies and the, the women's game. Boy, where to start? Um, they're probably in a worse... <laughs> no, that's harsh. I was about to say they're in a worse position than the men. But they are in so much as funding certainly you speak to the people who know what they're talking about in the Caribbean and they'll say that there's just not enough funding and development going into the women's game across the region. And actually this goes, this actually, once you, once you kind of extrapolate this, you then get another deeper issue with the, (laughs) there's so many issues, but you get another deeper issue with the cricket in the region because on, 
unfortunately, the way cricket works in, in the Caribbean is each island or territory has its own cricket board, right? So mm -hmm. Jamaica, for example, has the Jamaica cricket board, Barbados has the Barbados cricket board, and so on and so forth. Now, from each board, there's two directors that effectively make up the construct of Cricket West Indies that runs the whole game in the region. But the problem is this. The development that goes on for women's cricket in Jamaica may not be the same as the development that goes on for women's cricket in Guyana or in Barbados. Effectively, what I'm saying is there's no joined up thinking. Right. And because there's a lack of joined up thinking amongst the different territorial boards and regions within the Caribbean, you can't really successfully develop the women's game on a cohesive level because everybody's doing their own thing not everybody's getting the same access as everybody else so the west indies women have gone from a high of 2016 where they won a shock world cup in 2016 beating australia which nobody expected um, we were blessed in so much as we had three players who were generally seen as three of the best women's players in the world but again similar to what i said about the men's team one's now retired one's quite injury prone and unfortunately the talent coming up now to replace them just isn't as good and then that's when you have to look at your developmental structures to say well what have we been doing developmental wise to help the next generation coming through and the reality is not enough wow that's um that's something i didn't even consider because we, we cover a little a bit of women's sport on our show and the investment is is an issue across the board I get that, but then the fact that there's no alignment, they've got multiple countries involved here. So mm. no, when you don't have everyone singing off the same song sheet, that's tough. That's tough to get the development. And then if you don't add the development, the quality on the field's not there, that's going to be harder to get the marketing uh, yep. to sell the product, and then it's hard to get the investment. That is a very vicious cycle. It's, it's a negative cycle, yeah. So it's a mm. vicious cycle. And the, the, the ultimate reality is lack of development. So, so mm. that's why I say we already know that you could take women's sport in, take women's sport across all sports in general, even in the most developed countries. And you'll, we would all argue that women's sport doesn't get the same level of investment and funding. Then you mm -hmm. look at a country, that, country, a region that historically is, I guess, for argument's sake, underdeveloped, for whatever that means. And you know that that means they're starting an even bigger disadvantage with the already lack of funding that goes with women's sports in general. So, so yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Scout, collect, and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. So Rare is a game that you can play this season, and the next, and the next, and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy. This is something that is available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved, get in the game, get some cards, and have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. All you have to do is sign up. It's really that simple. You just sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to go a little bit harder and purchase some 
limited, rare or unique cards, you can do that too, but at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports. Because ProSource Podcasters, we know our thing, but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room. So hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on So Rare. Own your game. Well, th- to expand on that, who would you say is developing the women's game right, Matchell? Who's doing the Nobody. best job of it? Nobody. <laughs> um, no, do you know what? No, I can't answer that. The people are... <laughs> this is why any discussion of West Indies cricket, like it, it'll, it'll send your head into a tailspin. <laughs> but, um, the, the people who are developing it right, and this is where West Indies cricket gets even more complicated now. So... West Indies Cricket is run by a private, independent organisation called Cricket West Indies, right? Mm. Cricket West Indies is not affiliated to... It's weird. They run cricket in the Caribbean, but it's it's not publicly owned, right? So Cricket West Indies operate out of Antigua. Recently, they have established an academy like self-funded they've paid for it which is really good so there's now like a properly equipped resourced academy based in antigua and what they've done in the last year is the best uh, men's players i think between the ages of 19 to 25 have effectively gone to antigua to basically be in a professional environment for a year to get better. They're trying to bridge the gap, basically. They're trying to cut out the lack of development across the different islands. When I say home, home to their headquarters and do it in-house. Are you following so far? Yes. Right. So when you say who's doing it well, well, the only people I would say doing it well are the people who run the game. But here's the thing. They can't afford to put a fully resourced, fully equipped academy in every single nation in the Caribbean. Every nation gets a stipend from Cricket West Indies to develop cricket within their particular country, right? So let me focus on mine, Jamaica. The Jamaica Cricket Board gets a stipend from Cricket West Indies to develop the game of cricket within Jamaica. Now, Cricket West Indies can say to the Jamaica Cricket Board, we think you should do X, but they don't actually have to follow that directive. There's, there's no accountability. There's no KPIs. There's mm-hmm. nothing to say, if you don't do this, we're going to withhold your money from you. Do, do you see what I mean? So because of that system, the only people I trust right now are Cricket West Indies in their own home headquarters in Antigua. But you can't move every single cricketer in the whole Caribbean to Antigua. Do you, do you catch my drift? So mm. when you say who's doing it well, well, the actual organisation who are supposed to run cricket are doing it well in their own headquarters. But that's not currently being replicated around the region. Now, is there a another nation that you think they would they should follow as far as development? I think Guyana... I, I believe have made a lot of noises about building academies this year in 2023. So you'd probably have to ask me that question by the end of 2023. I've heard some encouraging signs that they plan to do something. Um, but like I say, really and truly, if that's not replicated everywhere, but again, it comes back to finances and funding, say Guyana do it. So what? What about the other nations then? So, so we can't just have the team come from Guyana. If you, so Guyana would therefore argue that they might as well go solo and split split away from West Indies cricket and focus on themselves. 
Okay. And the stipend that you had mentioned, is it the same for every nation or is it based on population? Does it change? No, no. It's the same for every, every territorial board gets the same amount of funding to, to boost cricket within their particular territory. Ah, okay. That doesn't, that doesn't really match up well either when you think about it. <laughs> no. And so, so then what, and then this, and this is further, <laughs> you're going to need another podcast for you to explain this all properly. <laughs> You'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> but what complicates it further, of course, is we haven't even spoken about governments. So in some of the nations, the governments may be cricket friendly, if you follow my drift. So the government may put off some of their funding, their sports development money, for example, they may say we want to focus on cricket within our particular nation. So they would give extra funding to their own cricket board. And this is where West Indies, I think, is at a disadvantage compared to everybody else. Because for Cricket West Indies to have more money, they have to essentially work in collaboration with the governments of the different nations. But what if that particular government doesn't care about investing in cricket? Do you, do you follow my drift? So there's, mm-hmm. those comp- there's those political issues as well in terms of developing the game. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> That's a lot. That is, that is a lot. Um, but hey, it's not the Toronto Maple Leafs, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, in any case, tell us a little bit more about your podcast, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think so, it was just before the pandemic, circa 2019, the end of 2019, I had always been like writing about Cricket West Indies, but like just, I don't know, just kind of writing and just putting it out into the ether. And if anybody read it, they read it. If you kind of, you know how it goes, like a kind of blog type stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, as Twitter goes, I kind of met uh, a guy called Santoki Nagilendran, who was on Twitter as well. And Santoki and I got talking and basically what we worked out between the two of us is that we were part, we were part of a dying breed. And what that dying breed is, is members of the diaspora, under the age of 40, who still were kind of burning the candle bright for West Indies cricket. Now, both of us had similar stories in so much as our parents had tricked us into supporting the West Indies, but we grew up at a time when West Indies no longer won any matches. So we were, we, we, ne- we never saw the glory days, if you see what I mean, but mm. we, were, we, were, we were emotionally stuck with supporting them no matter what. So um, we got chatting about West Indies cricket and we basically both decided that there was a market, a niche market for a kind of podcast looking effectively at West Indies cricket. And effectively, some of the stuff that I've discussed with you today and like the nuances and the complications of how West Indies cricket is run. And we realised that a lot of the kind of conversations that are had about West Indies cricket, a lot of people don't fully understand the the different nuances behind why the game is the way it is in the region. And we just thought, you know what, let's create a podcast and let's talk about these things. Let's, let's talk to the key stakeholders. Let's talk to the players. Let's, let's try and help people understand about the social, political, economic, cultural issues um, behind the game in the Caribbean. And we just knew that there wasn't really another podcast or entity doing that. And primarily when we set it up, it was more about initially it was about doing it for the diaspora so the 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 caribbean diaspora is as you both know there's a there's a huge diaspora in both canada and the united states 
and there's a huge diaspora in the United Kingdom. So initially when we set it up, we were like, this is primarily gonna hit those three markets because we know that there's that's where the, the Caribbean community is outside of the Caribbean. And when we look at like our, our kind of like analytics, those are our biggest markets, the UK listeners, the US listeners, the Canadian listeners, right? And then in more recent recent times, it started to get traction within the Caribbean itself. I think there's probably a bit of, initially there would have been a bit of skepticism because despite me being born in Jamaica, despite me going back to Jamaica, if you listen to my voice, you'd think I had nothing to do with Jamaica, but actually I was, I was born there, my family's all there, etc. So initially there was a bit of skepticism, I think within the Caribbean itself, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And yeah, we just continue to, to do what we do and just try and shine a light on everything West Indies cricket. Right. And you touched on Canada, and you also mentioned previously that cricket is heading into, I guess, its expansion phase in the United States. Mm -hmm. Is Canada a part of that, or is Canada more secondary in terms of that expansion, would you say? This, uh, so I think, um, when was it? Just before the pandemic, Canada had started a tournament. Was it the GT20, the global? Yes, yes. Yeah, the global T20, it, that's right. It hasn't, I don't think it's come back since the pandemic. Um, no. So, in a weird way, Canada had got ahead of the game, ahead of the United States, because they had the global T20. Obviously, the, then the pandemic came, and that's that seemingly has stalled it. But if you go back and look at like the first two editions of the global T20, a lot of the, in fact, actually, I'll tell you a quick story. In the first edition of the global T20, one of the teams in it, so it's like Brampton Wolves, and I'm trying to remember what they were all called, but one of the teams in it was the West Indies B team. And in that West Indies B team were, but it was basically a squad of 15 of what was seen as the most talented players, kind of under the age of 25. And they, I remember that some of my friends went went to that tournament and they were raving about the West Indies B team saying, oh, these guys are super talented. They're going to play for West Indies one day. And the joke is, you go back now and look at that squad that played in that global T20 in Canada and Nicholas Puran was in it. He's well, he's just quit as captain, but he's he was the captain of West Indies up till a few months ago. Fabian Allen. So a lot of our players benefited from playing in that global T20 before they were household names in West Indies cricket. So I kind of feel that the pandemic has knocked Canada back a bit. And in that void has now stepped up the United States. And I, I mean, I mean, the United States don't do things in short measures. I would imagine that Major League Cricket, when it happens, it is going to be a big global extravaganza. And certainly a lot of the West Indian players are hoping to get franchise deals with the with those teams in Major League Cricket. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now with Canada. I do know that some of the West Indian players still play locally in their off season in Canada, but I, I'm not sure what's currently going on with, with within the Canadian game. Okay. Right. Yeah, because because the Windies are a conglomerate of a number of different nations. Do you know of any additional nations that are looking to become a part of it? Good, good question. I don't know of any, but I will say this because this is what one of our listeners on our podcast kind of said to us a few months ago. We and this is what's weird. This is. <laughs> When we think about the West Indies and we think about the Caribbean, we, of course, are only really focusing on the English-speaking Caribbean. We're not actually thinking about the French-speaking Caribbean, much less Haiti, much less 
Do we include Cuba? Much less Cuba, right? So much less, and the Dutch speaking Caribbean. So <laughs> as much as we are saying the West Indies is a conglomerate of nations, there's an argument to say, what have we done to expand cricket in Martinique or Guadeloupe, for, for example? Mm -hmm. So I actually don't think we're as, as difficult as it is to administer cricket within the Caribbean, I'm not even sure we're reaching our full potential in terms of reaching all of the places in the Caribbean. For all I know, the next, the greatest cricketer of all time is currently living in Martinique, for, for all I know, but, but they're, not in, they're not necessarily considered a part of, they are, but they're not considered a part of West Indies in the kind of, when we talk about West Indies, no one's talking about Martinique, if you see what I mean. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what I was wondering because there are so many nations none represented on the team. If you pull from a larger group of, of available players, you could get a stronger team. But of course, you got the fragmentation that still gets in the way. So it's a, it's a double edged yeah. sword, really. In fact, if I just quickly jump on that. So we recently, funnily enough, just had a player debut for us from St. Martin which is the Dutch, well, it's, it's, I think St. Martin has a Dutch speaking side and I think an English speaking mm, side. Yeah. And he's the first ever cricketer from St. Martin to play for the West Indies. So he's his name's Casey Carty for the senior men's side, I should say. So he's an example of what you're talking about. Like, And when you, when you go and look at the news in St. Martin, when he got selected, it was like it was a national holiday. They were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we've got a player from St. Martin representing the West Indies. So it, it goes to your point that there are other territories or nations, however small, out there with potential cricketers. But they don't have the the stipend or funding yet. Yeah, well, this is the issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they, the 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 pathways for them are even harder than it would like the pathway for. And this is why, actually, I should say this. This is why traditionally, when people think about the West Indies, they only think about the four big nations: Barbados, Trinidad, Guyana, and Jamaica. Because it's the reality is, it's much easier to get into the West Indies teams from those four nations than it is. If you're from one of the tiny Leeward or Windward Islands nations, so if you're from Dominica or Grenada, you first and foremost have to get into your. So sorry, how do I explain this to you? <laughs> the in the eastern half of the Caribbean, you have the Leeward Islands and the Windward Islands, and there's mm. four nations that make up each of those territories. So to get onto the Leeward Islands team or the Windward Islands team, you first have to get onto your national team. Then you have to compete against the other four islands just to then get onto the Windward Islands team to then hopefully get a chance for the West Indies team. So it's a much, the smaller your island, basically, the smaller your chance of getting onto the West Indies team. Yeah, Is far, far more time. difficult path of getting there, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about potential new countries, and I know that in Cuba, there's some people that throw some fireballs and that can hit balls as well, but as I thought about it more, there'll be problems if if you wanted someone from there to go play in the Major League Cricket competition because the, the politics with Cuba and the US, yeah. it's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> now, I've got to ask, have you been to Canada and Toronto? So, this is this... <laughs> No is the longer short. No is the longer short. And, do you, and do you know what's do you know what's terrible about it? One of my uncle lives in Canada. He lives in Toronto, and I've never been. And I often say to myself, "But why haven't I gone?" Like I've been to the states. Like most of my relatives live in the states if they're not in Jamaica. And my one relative that lives in Canada, I've never made my way there, despite wanting to go. I've just never 
happened to make my way to Canada. And I must apologize. I sincerely apologize for it. <laughs> That's all right. Um, you're the one missing out, so don't worry. <laughs> you'll have to, you, when you do get off here, you'll have to try a put in. <laughs> Most definitely. I, but having grown up in Jamaica, having lived in London and also visited the US, where does one find the best oxtail in the world? Ooh, not in, the, not in London. Not in okay. London, that's for certain. <laughs> there are very few, despite the huge diaspora in the UK, there are very few places that I would say, if like if a visitor came over, there's very few places where I could 100% take them and say, yes, this is where you're going to find it. So here's the weirdest, here's the answer to your question. It's going to sound like a weird answer, but this is the answer. The best place you're going to find Oxtel is in someone's home where I think one of the reasons why I say that is with the diaspora, this is what happens with the diaspora and what my theories behind the diaspora, the, the kind of what I call the oral traditions get more and more diluted with each passing generation. I think that's what happens with the diaspora. So unless you still have really, really close ties with your home nation, whatever that, wherever that may be, I think like the recipes get more and more diluted and get mm -hmm. further and further away from whatever made them what they were. So everybody knows colloquial phrase, but everyone kind of knows grandma's home recipe, but each generation is one step further away from grandma's home recipe. Do you, do, do, yeah. do you see what I mean? So, so I always say, if you want to get proper Jamaican food, you better just go back to Jamaica. <laughs> and find it and find it that way uh it's certainly not going to be in, it's not in the uk that much i do know fair enough and just just one more london food question have you tried jollof rice before i know that's yes. west african i got west african yes. heritage so this is very crucial then which jollof rice is the best jollof rice and you know exactly where i'm going i know exactly yeah yeah well or you got to tell me what your heritage is you're, you're going to tell me which one's best, and I'm going to tell you which one's <laughs> my heritage. <laughs> no, no, no biases. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> it's all right. I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm going to say Ghanaian. Hey, yes. That's, is that the right that's answer where for you? Are from. Yeah. That is the correct answer. That is the only answer. We, we, <laughs> we've had a few um, Nigerians on the show, and I don't know what they're doing in America, but I know the Americans seem to think the Nigerian jollof is better, but I'm trying to educate people. I'm, I'm almost on this evangelical uh, move now to show the people that you know, Ghanaian jollof is a better jollof. So. Yeah, when, I, when I've tasted it, I've, I can't, I'm not even just saying it for saying it's sake. The Ghanaian jollof that I've tasted, like, it's blown my mind. Because, so, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely Ghanaian for me. All right. Very good. And where can our fans find you on social media? Yeah, so, um, yeah, if you want to find the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, just uh, on Twitter, Instagram, just head to at Carib Cricket um me personally i'm at mash m-a-s-h-s-t paddy p-a-double-d-y but generally speaking if you just head to our website www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com you pretty much get a link to everything from there fantastic and 
We are in 2023, so that's a men's World Cup year, so we'll have to touch base with you again as we get close to that tournament. But it's been a pleasure to have you on. If we even make it there, we might not even make it. Oh, don't even, don't say that. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Are are the Netherlands going to make it? Give give Kobe some hope. (laughs) So, funnily enough, so there's there's a women's... T20 tournament which is in February so we're, we've qualified for that we're, we're fine with that one but just for the listeners so the men's world cup is in October later this year but the top eight nations in I won't go into the uh, explanations behind the tournament but basically if you're in the top eight nations you qualify automatically if you're not you then have to go into the world cup qualifiers which will take place in Zimbabwe, I believe in June or July. As things stand, West Indies are currently eighth of the top eight teams and they are now needing other teams to lose for West Indies to make it automatically (laughs) to the World Cup. So the chances are we're heading to the World Cup qualifiers. And if we head to those World Cup qualifiers, only two teams go through from a 10-team tournament. So it's... it's, it's, (laughs) It's looking difficult out here for us to make it to the World Cup. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our Insider Tips, Sponsor Giveaways, and Insider Newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcast's experience. Where no sport is left behind.